resorts, homes and a newly built hospital have been washed away. Communication is down all over the country. Everybody was just rushing up to the closest high point. I'm just holding on for dear life here. Pacific prepared. Pacific prepared. Pacific prepared. The warnings were going up. The extent to which people took heed of the warnings is another question. Very much a wake-up call. People were prepared and that's why we've got less lives lost than we could have had. People need to know what to do and it's not difficult. We provide the right information to people and they can act accordingly. Pacific Kissing Was. The Pacific Pacific, you feel I must prepare. Pacific prepared. Pacific prepared. Hello and welcome to Pacific Prepared, where the Pacific comes together to share information that can save lives, save loved ones and save livelihoods. I'm Aaron Carney. Coming up this episode, as the Pacific braces for rainfall, Tuvalu battles drought. The Fiji military pivots from fighting a pandemic to preparing for disaster. What to do after an earthquake? And the latest approaches to taking the disaster preparedness message to the people of the Pacific. Disasters may be inevitable, but the loss of your life, your family, your home, your land or your village are not. So, let's prepare. It was a terrifying night. It was shaking and getting pounded by debris. We had to make sure that they have a safe shelter and drinking water. Helping you stay safe, Pacific prepared. All across the Pacific, domestic and allied military forces are playing a growing role in disaster preparation and response. But in many cases, they've also played major roles in the response to the COVID-19 pandemic, placing pressure on the ramp-up for the cyclone season. In Fiji, that pivot has become a priority, as Rosie de Viverata reports. After scaling back its resources following the surge of Fiji's second wave of COVID-19, the Republic of Fiji military forces is back in preparatory mode, this time ready for the cyclone season. Predictions by the Fiji Meteorological Center in its 2021 2022 Tropical Cyclone Outlook released last month point to the likelihood of up to three severe tropical cyclones affecting Fiji. If past experiences are anything to go by, Fiji Met outlined that the cyclones will most likely pass Fiji through the western part of the group. The center also warned that the whole of Fiji should be equally prepared for increased chances of flooding during the cyclone season. Of course, preparation is key. So for the past two months, in parallel with its COVID-19 response, the RFMF has been proactive in its humanitarian assistance and disaster relief preparation. RFMF Acting Commander and Fiji Navy Chief Commodore Humphrey Tawake outlines what is involved in their preparation. Having a look at uh, some of the equipments that we have, uh, that they are operational uh, when and when it is needed during the cyclone season, uh, having some uh, pre-positioning of some of the assets that we have uh, up to the north and to the western division. That is going to happen in the next couple of weeks before cyclone starts. So in terms of working with uh, with our government agencies, we've had, I think, the, uh, the minister responsible has had a meeting uh, with all stakeholders in regards to cyclone preparedness. You know, this is these are things that that needs to be established uh, before a cyclone hits. So 
we are usually the the first responders into any situation as any cyclone or whatever the circumstances may be so but the RFF is always there to support the people of Fiji and to, to support government in its effort to ensure that everyone is looked after and the properties and the infrastructures of government are protected. Over the years the lessons from the cyclones that have devastated parts of Fiji are many. From 2017 for instance the frequency of these events increased on average to three cyclones per year. It was during this period when three superstorms affected Fiji. Tropical Cyclone Winston, and in 2020, Tropical Cyclone Herald and Tropical Cyclone Yasa. The focus now is not only on preparation, but also on adaptation. I think first and foremost, you must know that the cyclone hitting us down this part of the, the globe is not getting any, any weaker and, and not getting any smaller in this group. It is, it is for us to be prepared to encounter these uh, cyclones when it comes. Having said that, it is about working with government in terms of adaptation and resilience, uh, especially with the, with, the, with, the, with the houses that we built. Uh, with the uh, government infrastructures uh, that is there, the bridges, the hospitals, they are, they, they, they must be resilient to provide the necessary support for government when such cyclone hits. Uh, unfortunately, in the past, uh, some of these infrastructures have been uh, not not uh, looked after. It has been uh, in a very bad state, but that is something that we've learned to quickly come up with... Uh, with uh, with sustainment issues, with sustainment funding and resources, to ensure that these essential critical infrastructures are operational even during disasters, like hospitals, uh, police stations, government stations, uh, all, all this, so schools that are usually used as, uh, as as shelters. So these are one of the lessons that we've learned as well for for, for the years that we've seen that uh, this is another issue for government government as well because. We support government and the funding for us to operate. But from uh, a force level, I think the RFMF is, uh, is well prepared now. So we are now transitioning now from COVID operations into HDR. So we see as we scale down from the COVID operations, we are jumping straight into HDR. So it, it, it is quite a challenging uh, task, but uh, I'm optimistic that the RFMF will be able to to do better with the, with the limited resources uh, it has. But like any well-meaning and well-planned operation, challenges often arise. Our engineers are, are usually at the, at, at the forefront uh, in terms of the problem. So we have some level of support that has been provided by Australia in terms of portable engineering equipment that we are able to respond to uh, if a disaster strikes. These are uh, mini uh, chainsaws, electrical uh, equipment, so that we are able to go to to help the, the people that are out there. Uh, for us in, uh, in the in the navy here, we uh, the ships are operational now. Uh, we will be able to respond to assist to transport engineers or government officials where uh, where where it is needed. But holistically, it is working with NDMO. The NDMO takes is a lead agency. We are there to to support their policies and to support the whole of government approach towards uh, NHS. But, you know, uh, resources is is usually a challenge, but uh, as Fijians, you know, we sometimes improvise in, in, in the little that we have, but in the little that we have together, when, when, it, when resources are put together, the effects 
is even much more greater than than what one would expect that into into the re- into the response and into the rehabilitation phase having spent 30 years in the RFMF Komodo Tawake has also observed how cyclone preparedness and response have evolved. I think one, uh, the level of uh, preparedness, it's just the preparedness, that's one. Uh, second, as I mentioned before, you know, these cyclones are not getting any weaker, they are all getting stronger. So we have to be prepared for that. And uh, over the past years, the RFM was not as much uh, prepared now into disasters because we were not serious, but now because of climate change and, uh, and, and, and the stance of government towards climate change, adaptation, resilience, all this, this is very important uh, for all of us. So that has come to the fore uh, from other, any other issues because the critical uh, biggest challenge that we have is the impacts of even climate change in a sense comes first and then cyclone is just an additional one that comes with the environmental changes that's happening globally. So for us, you know, we, I think the awareness across the RFMF is there. That's for one, uh, which is very important that we, we now know that given our roles within the constitution that provides national security and the well-being of all Fijians, uh, we have to be ready uh, to be out there to protect uh, citizens, to protect infrastructures, critical infrastructures where we can. But uh, I think that has been the major change. The other one is the involvement of our partners, of our defense partners. Now, uh, you've seen for the last couple of seconds that we've had for the, for the past two, three, three years, we've had New Zealand, uh, Australia come in really heavily uh, with all the equipment and support with ships, uh, resources, equipment, personnel, everything. So that didn't usually happen in the past. So that is a big change the, of the strategic commitments by our regional partners. And not only mentioning the region partners, even far beyond the region, from India, from China, from the UK, European Union. Uh, it, it didn't used to happen the way it used to in the past. So this is a big change as well. And then for us to be interoperable uh, in the way that we do things. So we understand uh, their policies, they understand ours, and we understand uh, uh, the, their way of doing things, and they understand the way... How and how we do things in in uh, in Fiji, but I think for the last uh, two two three years in the cyclones that we've had, even since Winston, that has dramatically improved uh, because we've learned to work together. So prior to cyclones, we, there there is an, an exercise along which is called long reach that we prepare ourselves both uh, for Fiji and our counterparts. Of course, technology. Uh, is there, that's the fourth one that has come into play uh, into how we monitor and track uh, the cyclones and the impact so at least we know the paths of the cyclone and what are the infrastructure critical infrastructure that will be impacted so it gives us providers a planning tool to forewarn people in that area and then tell them to move to, into safer, safer zones so, Expectations from the Fijian public are quite high where the RFMF are involved Last year, in Yaro village on the island of Kia in the northern division, homes were wiped out during tropical cyclone Yasa. The intervention by at least 20 RFMF engineers to clean up and assist where they can helped villagers get back on their feet. I think the expectations is there for the RFMF to be there when, when it is there. That is the first person that they're in. Because, uh, 
uh, I think it is the the partnership that we've had uh, with with villages and the communities that we go to in, in past uh, responses that, that we've had, uh, and that and then building uh, that trust that we have that we'll be able to. But again, for the RSMF, it is for us to deliver that intent and the expectations of the public. That is the biggest challenge for us. Uh, and I know uh, they are, it is a challenge because of the bigger role, as I said, bigger role that we have under the Constitution. So the public's expectation is when they see RFML, they know that they will deliver what is it, what is it expected. So uh, that's a challenge for us because we are, we are, we are, we are not, uh, as I said, we can only do, we are limited in our resources. So probably, but we will always try and facilitate whatever we can. But that is the usual intention. That is the reaction that the, and the brief that has been given to the troops that respond to any uh, disaster or any man-made or even natural disaster. Uh, that Communities are increasingly expecting to see military support from near and far in a time of crisis. But taking action now to make sure you are prepared for extreme weather means you'll be in much better shape when the military rescue comes. And if you have a go bag, you'll be well placed to support yourself until help arrives. So, make one today. Rosie de Viverata, reporting from Fiji. Ten minutes after the earthquake, we had a loud bang and then just saw the sea rising up. Know what to do. Know what to do. Know what to do. Pacific Prepared. Here on Pacific Prepared, we hear a lot about disaster hazards and damage caused by water, brought by cyclones, floods, storm surge and even landslides. But even as much of the Pacific prepares for a lot of rain in coming months, the Polynesian nation of Tuvalu is fighting an ongoing battle with drought and water shortage. The International Federation of Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies has released emergency relief funds of around 33,000 US dollars, the first ever disaster relief emergency funds released at the early onset of a drought in the Pacific. Tuvalu Red Cross is assisting with household water tank monitoring and delivering drought awareness activities to help communities cope with the current dry period, with rainfall levels at some of the lowest recorded, but also be better prepared for future periods of drought. Backed up by a new plan to educate people on smart water use, they're hoping to begin a journey to drought-proofing the country's most vulnerable families. Shreya Kumar reports. A Lofeangai community member in the northern part of Funafuti Island said the community needed more water storage. During the period of low rainfall in the beginning of the year, I have witnessed how the Lofeangai community was heavily affected by it. For almost every day, almost every household comes to collect or fetch water from the community's water system. I was one of them too. At that time, my family started managing our water usage carefully so as not to heavily impact their everyday living. So far from experience of how the drought committee with the monitoring program have been responding during desperate times in the period of low rainfall, it has helped me and my family, but I hope that this survey would provide a more proactive approach in responding to us before desperate times. Considering Fumafuti Island is so small and with every little space of land for water tanks, I hope that in the future our community would build more water systems 
for us to access in times of low rainfall. On the same note, I would like to request any agencies, including our government, that even where we have no rain in a week, many of us are already suffering. Many families are starting to buy water from the public works department, even using the community system to get water. We need more water storages in our communities and homes. The Tuvalu Red Cross team are currently reviewing all data and coordinating with Tuvalu Natural Disaster Management Office to analyze the impact of the dry period. Once completed, the team will identify possible sectors of intervention and islands which need support. The Red Cross Red Crescent Early Rainfall Watch places Tuvalu at dry warning level with high risk of severe dry conditions getting worse. In a bid to help the communities, Tuvalu Red Cross are working alongside authorities to assist with household tank monitoring and delivering drought awareness activities. To support Tuvalu Red Cross with their drought early action, the International Federation of Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies have released emergency relief funds of around 33,000 US dollars. Pacific Prepared caught up with Tuvalu Red Cross Society Acting Climate Change and Disaster Management Officer Tusi Finikasu to know more about the Early Action Program. Mr. Finikasu believes natural disasters such as droughts require a more proactive approach rather than a reactive one. The whole objective of uh, this survey is to get households to be a little bit more prepared. So rather than just focusing on actions at the Island Disaster Committee or the Island Council level, uh, we're also encouraging uh, households to also have do their own actions in the different drought stages. So we're hoping that fa families at least have a guideline in which they can do their own checks and their own uh, water saving and water recycling uh, tips at home rather than just relying on the government to provide everything. So we're hoping that households have better ownership of their, their water storage systems at home and especially their water usage. But what we're trying to achieve here is a behavioral change uh, uh, from people. Uh, so we're hoping that people feel a li little bit more uh, responsible with their, uh, uh, with their water usage at home. Does Tuvalu Red Cross, along with the other relevant authorities, plan to establish microclimate control strategies for longer sustainability? Uh, definitely, that's um, that's part of the longer-term uh, strategy at the moment. So what we're doing right now is sort of collecting uh, baseline uh, information at household level, and then we're trying to see what approaches may or may not work based on the analysis of the household uh, surveys that we're uh, that we're collecting at the moment. And what can you say about the community involvement at this stage? Well, in all honesty, community members are actually tired of uh, surveys. But uh, when we tried to explain the purpose of the survey and we weren't going to be hiding the data and that we'll be trying to do approaches and interventions based on their responses, and they opened up. So, so the community was involved in such a way that they provided their feedback. Uh, and we told them that, was, that would probably be the best way that we could work. Pacific Prepared reporter Shreya Kumar outlining the effects of drought in Tuvalu and attempts to take a water-wise approach to surviving future droughts. In the next episode of Pacific Prepared, we discover from the Red Cross exactly how they plan to drive drought preparedness in the short 
medium and long term. Helping you stay safe. Pacific Prepared. Damaged buildings, damaged power lines, water and gas leaks can be hazards after an earthquake. Here are some key tips for staying safe after an earthquake. Aftershocks are small earthquakes that follow a larger earthquake. They can happen minutes, days, weeks or even months after an earthquake. If you feel an aftershock, drop, cover and hold on. If you are trapped after an earthquake, protect your mouth, nose and eyes from dust. Try to attract attention to yourself. Send a text, bang on a wall or a pipe, use a whistle or yell to help rescuers find you. If you are in an area at risk for tsunami, go inland and seek higher ground. Tsunamis in many areas of the Pacific can happen minutes to hours after a strong earthquake. If you hear an official tsunami warning or notice signs of a tsunami, evacuate immediately. Get to higher ground as far inland as possible. Follow instructions from local authorities. They may direct you to a different route that you had planned. You must get inland and to an elevated position. Three kilometers inland is considered safe. This can mean up to an hour's walk. Do not enter a damaged building. If inside, leave your home or building if you hear shifting or unusual noises. Strange noises can mean the building is about to fall. Check walls, floors, doors, windows, and staircases for damage. If you see structural damage like cracks in the foundation or missing support beams, you may need to relocate to a shelter or another safe location. Watch out for fallen power lines that may be hanging overhead. Do not use matches, lighters, appliances, or light switches until you are sure there are no gas leaks. If the power is out, use torches instead of candles. Locate your first aid kit. If hurt, seek help. If not, help others. Drink safe water. Eat safe food. If food looks or smells wrong, do not eat it. When in doubt, throw it out. Do not use contaminated water to make baby formula, make ice, brush your teeth, your hands or rinse food. Bottled or boiled water is safe. Make use of your go back. Listen to receive emergency information and instructions from your battery, operated radio, social media, or mobile phone text alerts. Only take notice of official advice. Do not act on or spread rumors. Use text messages or social media to communicate with family and friends. Disasters destroys lives, 
homes and livelihoods. So prepare now, include everyone, make it fun and be prepared. This information has been compiled from multiple official government and non-government agencies across the Pacific and the world. Capital FM Vanuatu's Heather Meraki helping you know what to do after an earthquake. Be informed. Be ready. Pacific prepared. If there was a meeting called where you live to discuss disaster preparedness, would you go along? If it was during the workday, would that stop you from attending? If it was at night, would that mean that other commitments keep you away? All across the Pacific, efforts to inform communities about disaster preparedness are on in earnest. But what strategies work? How do you reach the people you need to? Pacific Prepared's Micronesia correspondent Bernadette Carrion has been exploring that issue with Palau National Emergency Management Office Executive Director Wyman Tuwai. Uh, when we do uh, state outreaches to the community of that particular state, we know that if we do it in the evening times, it's the uh, younger uh, plus the older uh, uh, age groups of, of the community. Uh, if we want to target the children, we do the school outreach to ensure that you know they're getting the messages as well, uh, and to ensure that people with disabilities are are, are definitely uh, involved. Is that we had uh, solicited the involvement of the president of Omakasang, um, also the um, the hospitals, uh, geriatrics. You know, the evacuation shelters need to be wheelchair accessible. There needs to be a, a boy and a girl, uh, or, you know, comfort rooms. Um, we try and involve uh, all the state uh, plans and Hamlet plans will not, were not endorsed fully by just the national government. They were endorsed by community members and, and state representatives. The schools are also doing disaster preparedness. And oftentimes the schools are the site of evacuation centers. Like schools are made for evacuation centers. So what is the kind of also relationship or coordination NEMO has with the Ministry of Education and Schools? This year was the sixth sixth year that we went to all the public and private schools to conduct school emergency drills. Uh, you're correct. Um, uh, most of the schools are used as emergency uh, evacuation shelters, but that's not the case to all schools. Uh, so that that entailed the training of uh, school personnel, uh, shelter management uh, training, uh, you know, and, and, and how to address uh concerns as you know with schools being evacuation centers and again uh, and that's also involved uh, heavily involved by the uh, Palau Red Cross Society uh, so uh, the coordination in itself uh, Bernadette is a is a task in itself uh, but these relationships when you know with the previous typhoon Sergei uh, typhoon preparedness or emergency preparedness becomes a priority Pacific Prepared's Micronesia correspondent Bernadette Carrion with Palau National Emergency Management Office Executive Director Wyman Tuwai. More to come from that discussion in an upcoming episode. 
Pacific Prepared is supported by the Pacific Media Assistance Scheme with funding from the Australian Government's Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. Any views expressed do not necessarily represent those of PACMAS or the Australian Government. It is produced and distributed in partnership with Radio Australia and networks across the Pacific including Radio New Zealand Pacific, NBC Papua New Guinea, Palau Wave Radio, Capital FM 107 Vanuatu, FBC Fiji, Samoa National Radio 2AP and TBC Tonga. Thank you to our guests, correspondents and contributors, government and non-government agencies who provided emergency and disaster information and support. And thank you for listening. My name is Aaron Carney. We'll be back soon with another episode. In the meantime, please stay safe, share what you have learned here, and together we will help get the Pacific prepared.